I thank God for all who have led us so beautifully in worship today. Thank God for all of you who are gathered here in person and all who are worshiping with us online as well. We are in a sermon series called Crosswise. We're looking at different scriptures that help us understand the various meanings of the cross of Christ. And today I want to draw your attention to Galatians chapter 3. I will read verses 13 and 14 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of my sermon is Substitution on the Cross, a Substitute and a Spirit. Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Have you ever needed a substitute? Have you ever needed someone to stand in for you? We have some teachers in our congregation and some former teachers. Sometimes teachers get sick or go out of town and need a sub to step in and cover their class for them. We have athletes in our congregation and former athletes too. Sometimes athletes get tired or hurt and need someone to come into the game for them. We have ministers in our church and some former ministers as well. Sometimes we ministers need someone to stand in for us. In Advent of 2015, one weekend I came down with viral pneumonia. And that Sunday morning, I didn't have the strength to leave the house, let alone preach. Thankfully, my wife Dana, who is an excellent preacher, volunteered to stand in behind the pulpit for me and deliver the sermon that I had written. She did an amazing job that morning. The sermon, in fact, was about... Mary's pregnancy with Jesus, and thereafter the congregation never tired of telling me that the sermon meant more coming from her than it would have meant coming from me anyways. Now, whether in a classroom, on the field of play, at church, or somewhere else in the course of life, there are times when we need a substitute to stand in for us. 
Spiritually speaking, the New Testament indicates that there's an element of substitution on the cross. That Christ stood in for us as he died. One place we find this idea is in Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When Paul says curse of the law, he's not saying the whole law is a curse. He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 27, which features a litany of curses. Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed be anyone who makes an idol to worship. Cursed be anyone who dishonors father or mother. Cursed be anyone who moves a neighbor's boundary marker. Cursed be anyone who misleads the blind. Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, or the widow of justice. Cursed be anyone who commits murder, commits incest, or takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And finally, there's the overarching curse of the law in Deuteronomy 27, 26, which is the curse Paul is referencing. It says, Cursed be anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by observing them. To make it plain, Paul is talking about how the law in Deuteronomy 27 curses sinners. It pronounces a curse on everyone who does not fully obey the law. Paul brings this curse into conversation with another curse mentioned in Deuteronomy 21-23. Anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. This verse was sometimes applied to people that Rome crucified on a wooden cross. The assumption was that anyone who died hanging on a cross was under God's curse. To review so far, cursed are sinners and cursed are the crucified. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Hadn't this been a real pick-me-up so far? What is going on with all these curses? Paul is interpreting Scripture with Scripture. He's interpreting the curse of Deuteronomy 27, 26 and the curse of Deuteronomy 21, 23 in light of one another. He's using the curse pronounced on sinners to interpret the curse pronounced on the Savior. You see, it was difficult for Paul to explain that Jesus was the Messiah because the idea that God's chosen king died on a cross would have been counterintuitive, if not totally outlandish. The Messiah was supposed to take over, not be overtaken. The Messiah was supposed to conquer Rome, not fall victim to Rome. The Messiah was supposed to be blessed by God, not cursed by God's law. 
How in the world could a cursed man like the crucified Jesus be the Messiah? How could the Savior of God be cursed by God's law? Paul had an answer with these curses in Deuteronomy. Christ became cursed on the cross to save humanity from the curse of the law. Christ accepted the curse of the cross so the curse would not fall on sinners. Christ absorbed the curse that was supposed to be ours by becoming a curse on our behalf. Bible scholar Richard Longenecker explains that the curse Christ incurred was an exchange curse. It involved a sacred swap. Christ took our curse and gave us his blessedness instead. Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness instead. Christ took our condemnation and gave us his favor instead. The early church leader Saint Ambrose said, Christ was made a curse in our stead so that the curse might be swallowed up in blessing. In short, Christ took the heat for our sin so we could be saved from the curse of the law. It reminds me of something that happened once when I was young. When I was growing up, we used to play basketball and baseball all the time in our backyard. Sometimes we played baseball with wiffle balls. Sometimes we played baseball with tennis balls. And sometimes we played baseball with a real baseball. One day, when my brother Rick and I were playing with the real baseball, he threw me a fastball on the inside corner, and I turned on it and ripped a line drive over the chain-linked fence in left field. The good news was that it was a home run. The bad news was that the ball slammed into the side of our neighbor's new garage, leaving a hole in it. It made a loud noise, too. And when my brother Rick and I heard the noise and saw the damage, uh, we took off running and went and hid in the carport. Our friend Reese, who was there at the time, but totally innocent of this infraction, was still standing in the yard. We said, Reese, you better run. We were encouraging him to go hide, but he just stood there. About that time, the neighbor came storming out of the house. She had heard the noise and she walked over and saw the damage, and she was hot. I mean, irate, fiery mad. She was yelling and shouting, and understandably so. What was done was wrong. A trespass had been committed against her, but she was yelling at Reese. She was going off on Reese. She was scolding Reese, who just happened to be standing in for us in that moment. 
he didn't mean to and we didn't mean for him to but in that moment Reese took the condemnation for our misconduct in an infinitely greater sense when we had all sinned and trespassed God's law Christ intentionally stepped in and took the curse of the law for us he took the condemnation for our misconduct on the cross Christ is our curse interceptor Christ is our condemnation catcher Christ is our sacrificial stand-in Christ is our sublime substitute we don't have to fear the curse of the law because Christ has taken it instead we don't have to walk around in fear of condemnation because Christ has taken it for us Christ shows us a God who is committed to blessing us rather than cursing us as theologian Nancy Elizabeth Bedford writes he became a curse that is a person on whom condemnation falls that we might live by grace this is good news yet some worry and rightfully so that this idea could possibly sacralize situations in which people are unjustly forced to self-sacrifice or unjustly forced to suppress their own well-being for the benefit of others lamentably the cross has sometimes been cited to legitimize abuse and oppression but verse 13 says Christ redeemed us as Bible scholars note, the Greek word translated redeemed here was often used to describe the emancipation of a slave. The implication is that Christ's death brings freedom, not repression. Christ's death brings liberty, not bondage. Christ's death does not sanction patterns of oppression but releases us from them indeed this line of thought in Galatians 3 that everyone is equally under the curse of the law and that Christ died for everyone equally to take away the curse is precisely what leads to Paul's revolutionary social declaration in Galatians 3:28. there is no longer Jew nor Greek there is no longer slave nor free there is no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus the death of Christ for the salvation of all people is the most radically egalitarian social event in all of history any interpretation of the cross that supports social injustices is therefore a misinterpretation others worry and rightfully so that the notion of Christ as our substitute could make people think salvation 
is all transaction and no transformation. A simple switcheroo that allows us to live like rascals all the same. Unfortunately, the preaching of the church and the actions of the church have not always offered adequate evidence to the contrary. But verse 14 says, Christ became a curse on our behalf so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. According to this passage, salvation involves a substitute and a spirit. And we receive both by faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we not only receive a divine Savior who neutralizes the curse of the law, we also receive a divine Spirit who energizes us for godly living. While God is abundantly gracious, to be sure, God is not an enabler who passively allows us to continue in patterns of sin that are detrimental to ourselves and others. People. Rather, when God gives us the Savior, God also gives us the Spirit in order to empower us, to guide us, to inspire us, and to sanctify us. I am no expert on boats. I promise you, I am not an expert on boats. But I do know the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. A motorboat is powered by the motor that moves it. But a sailboat needs wind to propel it. You can take a motorboat out on the water and ride around all over the place all day long without any wind because it's a self-powered vessel. But a sailboat is not self-powered powered. It is dependent on the wind for power and propulsion. Without sufficient wind, a sailboat will just drift. In some cases, it might even capsize. The human soul is like a sailboat that needs wind to propel it, the wind of God's Spirit. The Greek word translated spirit in verse 14 is pneuma, which can also mean breath or wind. This is the same wind that hovered over the face of the deep at the dawn of creation with divine dynamic energy. This is the same wind that blew all night long in the book of Exodus in order to divide the Red Sea and liberate the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. This is the same wind that blew upon the early church in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost with fresh power and inspiration. And this is the same wind that Jesus spoke about in John 3 verse 8. The wind blows where it chooses, he says, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is 
with those who are born of the Spirit. We are not self-powered vessels, but Spirit-powered vessels. We don't have our own spiritual motor, so we need the wind of the Spirit to fill the sails of our soul and propel us forward in the way of love, joy, and peace. Many of us need a substitute on occasion in the course of daily life, whether in a classroom, on the field of play, at church, or elsewhere. But all of us need a substitute in order to receive salvation from sin and death. We are all sinful, we've all broken God's law in some way or another, and we are all candidates for the curse. But thankfully, we can look at the cross and see that someone else has stepped in on our behalf. Someone else has stepped in and taken our place. It is none other than God in the flesh. God did not send a stunt double to do the work of the cross. God did not send an assistant or a representative to do the work of the cross. God was the one dying on the cross for us. Paul writes elsewhere, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God took the curse of the law for us. God took the condemnation for our sin. God paid the price for our redemption. God gave us God's self, all of God for all of us because God loves us so very much. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are set free from the weight of guilt. We are set free from the shame of our shortcomings. We are set free from the burden of our trespasses, and we are set free from the sway of sin as well, for we are powered and propelled by the wind of God's Spirit to do justice and to love kindness, to go where God wants and do what God wills, to navigate the way forward in love and joy and peace until that day we meet our Savior face to face in the glorious kingdom of heaven. Amen.